0: Welcome back to the Make Account Podcast.
1: I'm Marcus Meir, founder of Mirror Group CPAs and the Total Control Accounting System.
0: I'm Tyler Warner, small business owner with a lot of accounting
1: questions. All right, Tyler, I've been looking forward to this episode ever since we got it on the books. We've got Adam Carroll, who is a speaker, an author, and founder of The Shred Method. So Adam, first, thanks for agreeing to come on the show and, uh, and tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Yeah, Marcus, it's great to be here. Tyler, same with you. A um, little bit about me. I'm a serial entrepreneur, so I feel like I'm in good company with a couple of business owners. Uh, we're going to geek out about entrepreneurship and money and and uh, control, which I think is what most entrepreneurs really want in our lives. Absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm a serial entrepreneur, as I mentioned. And the way that I like to describe myself, you guys, is I'm a mediapreneur. So we were talking pre, pre-roll on the interview here that I was a broadcasting major in college. And I realized that when I got out of school, those guys don't make a lot of money starting out. Yeah. Same
0: thing happened to me. I'm a broadcasting major as well.
2: Yeah. Um, so literally didn't go into it
0: for that. For that it's,
2: it's wild. It's like we go because we love it. You get out and you're like, oh, or I could eat, you know, bologna sandwiches for the next five years. Sure. Or right. I could go into sales and marketing or start a business doing something else. And um, so as a mediapreneur, I've just created content for a long, long time. So I've been a speaker for 20 years. Creating content is kind of my game. I'll build a speech, go sell the speech. Uh, For 15 years or so, my core demographic were college audiences. Excuse me. So I spoke on 750 different college campuses in the last 15 years. And um, I did a documentary on student loan debt that everyone said was just going to be a passion project and wouldn't go anywhere. And just through through sheer grit and determination, we sold it to CNBC, and it aired on CNBC about half a dozen times in 2017 and 2018. And, um, and then most recently, the Shred Method, which you alluded to in the intro, is a, a software product where we're helping people blast away debt, build equity, and ultimately create massive efficiency with the money that they make. Um, and it's just been a super fun ride.
0: That's awesome. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's funny. It's funny how we all came to the same conclusion around. Like I was telling you, like you know, I wanted to be a broadcaster as well, and realized quickly I'm going to have to move to some place in Kansas or Michigan or someplace and be a weekend sports anchor. So accounting sounded a lot better after I got that realization that I was going to be carrying a camera, making you know twenty four thousand dollars a year out of college, doing your own stand ups. You know, you'd put it on a (laughs) tripod and go out in front of the
2: football team and. (laughs) Yeah, I, I hear you, man. I So the sports anchor piece, I really want to do like serious news anchor or or be kind of a comedic <laughs> talent, if you will. And um, I had the same realization, though I did have one sports anchor story. Uh, when I was in school, they sent me to the NCAA tournament to do play by play. Internet radio was just the beginning. And they were like, yeah, come down. We'll throw a couple students on in front of a game and you guys can call this game. I did not know thing one about basketball, so they put me as the color commentary guy, and I was like commenting on the gait of the players and their (laughs) uniforms and just random stuff. Oh, wow. I had a blast, but it didn't lead anywhere. I suppose that's the moral
1: of the story. Now, was that – you had mentioned to me when we talked previously, did you go to Drake? I know you're in Des Moines. Are you you a Drake University guy? I'm not a Drake alum. I went to the University of Northern Iowa.
2: Ah, gotcha. uh, what we like cool. to call the Harvard of Iowa, but um, <laughs> yeah, it, right. It it was um, it was just coming into its own, I think, in terms of broadcasting what they called electronic media, right. because they were lumping like internet or website creation and stuff like that in there too.
1: Gotcha. Now tell me a little bit about how you got because when we were talking previously, you mentioned, "Hey, I've been doing speaking for a long time." Yeah, and you don't run across many people who as a profession or a professional public speaker. So tell me a little bit, tell us a little bit how you got into that and how you got that going. Yeah. I love this story because,
2: um, I was in my turbulent twenties, like we all were at one point, you know, you're in your twenties trying to figure yourself out and what am I going to do and who am I going to be? And you probably have a person in your life who's like, dude, you got to figure stuff out. (laughs) I'm moving on to the next guy. Right. (laughs) And so my wife was kind of doing that. Like, are you going to figure out who you want to be and I was I was uh, in a sales and marketing role, and I would drive around in my car calling on clients. But I would listen to CDs every day, and I was listening to Les Brown, Mark Victor Hansen, Jack Canfield, Tony Robbins, um, you know, Zig Ziglar, going yeah. in the wayback machine to to some of the greats. And it occurred to me one day I was listening to a Mark Victor Hansen CD, and he said, "Public speaking is one of the most noble professions because you can change people's lives." You get to travel the world and you get paid handsomely to do it. And I'm driving my car like, holy crap, he just described exactly what I want. And it was this like lightning bolt moment where I knew that's what I wanted. So I reached out to a buddy of mine um, who whom I've known for a long time and trusted forever. And I said, Clint, I just had this epiphany. This is what I want to go do, but I have no idea how to do it. And he said, well, and so-and-so who used to work with us works for this company that does exactly that. Let me put you in touch with her. And that was the start of it. So I went and I I got a job with a company doing public speaking and then realized I loved it, but I wanted to create my own content. And I had, I had sort of learned enough to be dangerous to go build my own business. And in 2004, I, I uh, basically hung my shingle as a professional speaker and then went out and started marketing and promoting myself. And it took some time, as most businesses do, but uh, you know, within 36 months or so, we were crossing over the six-figure mark in speaking revenue, and uh, I haven't looked back since.
1: Man, that's crazy. I didn't realize they have businesses. Like you mentioned, you were working for somebody as a public speaker? Yeah. This was a firm that
2: um, two guys left Procter & Gamble, and they said, we know they, they were in HR at, at Procter & Gamble. And apparently there was this list of qualifications that they would, they would look at to see if someone could come in as an intern at PNG. and they were like, does anyone know about these outside of PNG? And and they are like, oh, no, I don't really think so. This is kind of our internal, you know, methodology. And they said, we want to take it and go teach high school and college students that this is what you want to get good at, because this is what will get you jobs in the future. And this is the craziest part of this story, you guys. The company was called Making It Count.
1: I kid you <laughs> Seriously, not. Seriously, wow. I kid you not.
2: It was called Great Making Minds. It Count. It was, and our programs were called Making College Count, Making High School Count, and Making Your College Search Count. And the um, the business started by these guys ended up getting sold to Monster.com. Oh wow! And and so we were sponsored by the U.S. Army and Mentos and Monster. And, you know, those companies were basically footing the bill to have speakers go out and deliver a message, but have product placement throughout the workbook that the, the kiddos uh, were seeing. Oh, wow. So it was great fun. I mean, I had a, just a blast doing it. And it, it taught me how to, to really secure an audience because when you're talking to eighth graders – I mean, these are the most apathetic human beings on the face of the earth.
1: You know? <laughs> sure. I mean, oh yeah, they're terrible. <laughs> I've got you a know. freshman in high school, I know.
2: Yeah, yeah. and and so when you can hold their attention, if you can hold their attention, the the lesson I learned was I could go talk to adults all day long if I can keep you know, these kids' attention. So it was just a good proving ground for me to then move on from there. That's awesome. What can you just dive into like
0: what is the shred method? I mean just to I mean sounds yeah. awesome. I've heard yeah. a little bit about it and so just hit us with it. Totally. I think
1: Tyler loves the name too. Yeah. I think yeah. you've got Tyler when you said shred. It's yeah. good branding, isn't it? <laughs> it's just good branding.
0: Yeah, especially this time of year. I was joking with Marcus. This is the time of year when I start getting ready to like for my January resolutions to sh- get shredded. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, yeah.
2: Not in the funny. way you thought. Yeah. Tyler, most people do say, hey, does this have something to do with abs or what, what is this <laughs> yeah. all about? You know. <laughs> yeah. um, so the shred method, the the origin story here is kind of interesting, you guys, because I bought, my wife and I bought what we believe to be our, our forever home, our dream home in 2010. And we live in it today when we bought it, it had an unfinished basement and it had a lot of updating that we wanted to do, but we could see ourselves uh, graduating our kids through high school in this home. And when we bought it, um, I was doing speaking, I was closing down a mortgage business, and my income was not verifiable. Um, You know, we could, I was making it, I was doing a decent job of making money, but we were using it to pay expenses in the business. And I had a creative tax person. And I mean, you guys know the drill, right? We we were making (laughs) some personal expenses, business expenses uh, by the very nature of them. And we couldn't qualify for the mortgage. But we didn't know that until we were about two or three days away from closing, and the owners were like, "Hey, feel free to move in uh, if you guys are going to pay utilities and all that. Move in, we'll rent back, you know, to you." So we were in the home about six weeks, still trying to get this mortgage pushed through. And I remember one night we were laying in bed; and my wife was in tears, and she said, "Adam, they're going to make us move out of this house. Um, you know, you you need to figure this out." And <laughs> I was feeling like. A terrible provider and I was letting my wife down and my kids down and you know the the long story short of this is we called her dad my father-in-law and said would you co-sign on a loan uh, with your daughter on this house I wasn't even on the note and when at the closing table as they're signing in my mind you guys I said I will never ever let this happen again to me I'll never be in this position and a few months later we got it we got it resolved I got on the note Uh, my father signed off on it and my father-in-law signed off and someone exposed us to the shred method or the idea behind the shred method. And I was like, if we get really serious about this and we stay committed to it based on what the system is telling us, we could be out of our mortgage in three and a half years. And it seems like a mind blowing number. We weren't, we we weren't, you know, relying on crazy income. And and in about 3.3, 3.4 years, we were writing the last check on the mortgage, and wow. so after I'd done that, I was like fired up to go share this with everybody. So the shred method, in in a nutshell, is a cash flow tool and a methodology where your income is directed in the most efficient way possible. And what most people do is they they create inefficiencies with their income, but they don't really know it. And you you guys obviously know this, being in the in the accountancy business.
0: Maybe,
1: um, maybe I don't, <laughs> he's, he you got a, mar- a lot
2: of a question with a lot of questions. Okay, good. Well, I love <laughs> questions too, uh, Tyler. So feel free. Um, yeah. you know, I'll give you an, a metaphor though, that might explain this a little bit. I'm guessing the majority of your clients, if they're getting paid, they're getting paid twice a month, let's say, right? 15th, yep. first and the 15th or 15th or the 30th or whatever. And for most consumers, there's an amount of money that sits in our checking or our savings account for days or weeks or months on end. So would you guys agree there are times of the month where you've got kind of a, an abundance of money sitting there more, certainly more than you have needed for bills. Right. Sure. Yep. Yeah. And when you have money in the bank account, how does it make you feel? Comfortable. Yeah. yeah. A little security. Yeah. Comfortable security. Um, and I maintain that if that money is sitting there and it feels comfortable and secure, what it also means is when you go into target or Costco, or you're driving by a restaurant and it's like five 30 and you don't really feel like cooking it, the money's there. So I'm just going to go do some extra shopping or get that dinner and I'm going to spend 40, 50, 80 bucks, whatever it is, yeah. but I have it right. So it's okay. And through the Shred Method, one of the things that we maintain is that lazy, idle money, money that is sitting there making you feel confident and secure, is dangerous money. Because that's the money that goes just goes up in smoke. And we, at the end of the month, when people are like, I don't know where all my money went, we could show you exactly where it went. It went to these unconscious expenditures where you were being super unintentional about what you wanted to do with your money. It's just like, well, it was there, so I spent it, right? Yeah. And so the the metaphor I give to people is... If you were to go to the post office in the morning at eight o'clock, right when it opens, you go to the post office, you come home back to your house, knowing you have to go to the grocery store at 1230 or one o'clock in the afternoon, would you leave your car idling in the driveway all morning long? Of course not. Why not? You'd You'd waste fuel. Yeah. Waste fuel, hard on the engine, hard on the environment. Somebody might steal your car. I mean, in Iowa, they'd take your car to the car wash and bring it back. And you know that's that's how it is where I'm at. But uh, the the reality is that people are doing that with their paycheck week after week after week. They put money in there and it just idles in the account, making no money, offsetting no debt. It just sits there idling. And what the Shred Method does is it says, instead of just idling, let's put that to work. And the example in the future will be, When we all have electric autonomous vehicles, if you're not using your vehicle, you're going to send it to a lot and then put it in the, the, uh, the lift pool or the Uber pool. Right. And someone's going to use your car and it's going to drive them around and you're going to be making money while you're not there. We're doing the same thing with our paychecks. Only we're blasting away debt and we're creating liquidity in the, in the form of equity in your property that is still accessible to you.
1: It's so interesting because, as you're saying this, I never, I never made the correlation between what you're saying and the sharing economy, which is what, which is what everything seems to be moving to. Is where you have idle. Essentially, I think what you're getting at is you have idle capacity, but that capacity is not in the form of a commodity like your car or extra room in your house. Yeah, it's in your money.
2: That's exactly right.
1: Yeah, and yep. and
2: the capacity, honestly, Marcus, is in the fact that small. Bursts of money, what most people are like, it's an inconsequential amount $250, $300. What am I going to send it to my mortgage now I don't have $300? But what we do is we use a shred account that that allows for that money to always be available to you, whether you need it or you don't. If you don't need it, it's being put to work for you and it's being put to work in the most efficient way possible, which is at the beginning of a mortgage when the majority of your payments going to interest. We're going to start making some really serious lump sum principal payments, which is going to shorten a 30-year fixed mortgage down to somewhere between three and five years for for the majority
1: of people we work with. So I have probably 100 questions, and I've tried to boil them down in the email I sent to you last night. But yeah, yeah. One of the things that I think would be very helpful is, because like, I'm an accounting and finance guy, and so a lot of this I'm getting, but even that, I have some very detailed questions. But I think what would be helpful is... Who is this prime for? Yeah. Like, who is somebody that can say like? And then I'll get into like I sent to you last night some more specific questions. But who is an ideal candidate? Somebody's like, man, you're ripe for this. Yeah, it
2: is someone. Here, here's here's where I like to start. Who it's not for is someone who's playing the debt consolidation credit card game where they have a bunch of zero percent balance transfers. It's not for them because they've they've created a debt problem through overspending, right? It's not for someone that has more month at the end of their money. (laughs) We got to have somebody who has more money at the end of their month. And what I often get from people is, wouldn't I be better off putting this in the market? I should just be investing my money. And what we like to tell them is, this is not an either or, this is a both and. So if you are funding a 401k, you're funding a Roth IRA, maybe you're putting a little bit of money away in a 529 plan for your kid's college, but you still have some extra and you're wondering, what do I do with this to make it the most efficient? And, I, and it could be a little bit, could be two to 300. It could be three to 10,000, right? If somebody has extra funds at the end of the month, what we want to do is show them how close they are actually to financial freedom, um, essentially having relatively little to no debt and owning the majority of their income. And most people again are are 36 to 60 months on the long end away from being in that position. So imagine if you were making $100,000 a year and out of that 90% of it was yours to keep. Imagine how much easier it is to create wealth when you're living that way. And by the way, we're not limiting your spending. Still go out to eat, go on vacations, do all those things it's just make sure that whatever extra you have is being utilized in the most efficient manner.
1: Yeah. I, like I said, I, I could, my mind is just racing here over the questions. The, you know, one of the things that it made me think about is because could you, could you, cause I have a little bit more background, I think, than obviously the, the a listener. Yeah. Could you, could you explain the interplay between the shred your bank account and a line of credit? Yeah.
2: Yeah, totally. So, uh, and we'll start with the mortgage because a mortgage itself is an amortized loan, meaning that over the course of 30 years, you're going to pay this, let's call it a $400,000 mortgage off. And it's going to be done month by month by month in the exact same increment, right? That's how mortgages generally are set up. But, and Tyler, I'm going to quiz you on this. Okay. When, when you are just getting started in the mortgage, is the majority of your payment principal or interest? Interest. Yes. And do you know to what extent it is interest versus principal? Oh man, is it it it's can't be more than 50 huh? Oh, no, it's oh, way it's, more. It's, it's, it's like like 80-20. Yeah. 90-10. Oh, in the gosh. first in the first year <laughs> to three years, it's yeah. you know, very, very little is going to principal and almost all of it's going to interest, which is why over the course of a 30-year fixed mortgage, it kind of looks like a waterfall when you look at an amortization table visually. And so, what I like to tell people is uh, your mortgage is if you set a traffic light over your mortgage, the first 10 years are red light, it's almost all interest. Second 10 years are yellow light, a little bit of interest, a little bit of principal. Um, and the last 10 years are green light, the majority of it's principal. So, it's, it's not until you're 21 in a 30 year fixed mortgage that you have paid off half of your mortgage. And then the other half is paid off in the last nine years. So, what most people do is they're in their home for five years, maybe 5.56 years, and then they move. Well, if you're all in red light when you're making those payments, you will think you are, you're going to have a ton of equity and a big check when you cash out. And then you get to the closing table, and I've done this a couple of times where I'm expecting, you know, we're going to go buy a new car, and instead it's like, or we could go to Applebee's tonight, you know, whichever.
1: <laughs>
2: maybe. <laughs> and, and so... Um, The interplay is an amortized loan is really heavy on interest at the front, a line of credit, which is what we call our shred account. So it can be a personal line of credit, a business line of credit, or a home equity line of credit. It is a simple interest vehicle, which means the interest that you're charged on that line of credit is based on the average daily balance. And it's so, you know, over the course of a month, it goes up and it goes down based on what we're borrowing and what we're paying back. But at the end of the month, because of the the way the software and the system works, the amount of interest that you actually pay is negligible. I mean, it'll be like $12 to $20 for most people. Um, And yet what they're using it for will offset months and months and months of house payments. Like to the tune most people on their first lump sum payment, they'll avoid paying 12 to 15 months of house payments. And so if you figure out how much interest that might be, it could be somewhere between fifteen, twenty, thirty thousand dollars saved when you do these lump sum payments, and the system is engineered to make sure you're spending the least amount of interest on the HELOC and the least amount of interest on the mortgage. And then the the interplay of your your check or your income is the income instead of sitting in checking, where it you know it feels really good for us to be there. It's a flow through checking to the HELOC, so you'll get a direct deposit into checking you'll push it all over into the HELOC. And as the HELOC gets, you know, the balance gets brought down on the HELOC, the system's going to say, hey, you have a payday coming in the next few days. Let's make room to put that payday somewhere, right? And so we're going to send a big lump sum to your mortgage. Two days later, you get paid and the balance goes way down again. But you still have access to it if you want to pay your bills or go out to eat or, you know, shop at Costco or whatever.
1: Yeah, and I would and so obviously the 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 underlying presupposition here, I think you made the analogy. More I'm gonna see if I get this right. More month at the end of your money. No, more money at the end of your month, I think is what you said. Yes. Meaning you've got some disposable income. Totally. I think that's the that's obviously the foundational piece is that and you correct me if I say this wrong. Because I bit, literally, when you and I started this conversation, I I had a spreadsheet up doing simple versus compound interest because like totally. I hadn't done this in a while, yeah. And I started thinking it through, and I started kind of thinking, okay, when does this work? So obviously, you have to be you. You would already have to be someone that would be saving, is that right? Are Correct. you now? Are you now diverting the extra savings? So let's just assume you're you're you've got you know let's Dave Ramsey a lot of people know. Let's say you funded your your, uh, what does he call it? Uh, your emergency fund, yep. you've got six, you've got six months expenses. Let's just say you're living under that premise. Yep. If that were the case and then through your work, maybe you're funding your 401k. Yep. So you've kind of got your basis covered where you're contributing to a 401k monthly and you are, uh, you've got your rainy day fund. You've got a, you know, if the roof leaks, that kind of thing covered, yep. this would be in lieu of additional savings. Would you, is that the way to characterize it where you would be playing a Uh, you would be way more efficient with the extra given that you already have a foundation. Am I saying that right?
2: In effect. Yes. The foundation is critical. I mean, we, when we start working with someone, one of the very first questions we'll ask is how much money do you need in savings to feel safe and secure at night? Right. You can go lay your head safely down at night and know that there's enough there. And that's different for different people. I mean, we've had folks that say, I need, 3,000, I've had folks say 30,000, and I have a guy with 300,000 in cash sitting on the sidelines, you know? And what I I will often make the distinction of, Marcus, is there is a difference between available funds and accessible funds. So where where I find fault with some of the Dave Ramsey logic and Susie Orman and any of the other pundits that are out there, call them gurus, that are talking about this, is if I have a 1,000 extra dollars a month and they're telling me I need 12 months of living expenses in the bank and my living expenses are $5,000, it's going to take me 60 months to save enough money to have 12 months of living expenses sitting in the bank. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, And in those 60 months, we'll have paid almost all interest on the mortgage for those 60 months of payments while we're squirreling away the grand. Well, I maintain that if the, the available money is, how what could you go down to the bank and grab, or what could you go to your your safe and pull out in cash that you needed it when you needed it? That's available money. Accessible money is a line of credit. could be a credit card. It could be a, a cash value line of credit or a, a cash value insurance policy of some kind. It's some bucket of money that's sitting there. Accessible doesn't necessarily have to be available because sometimes available funds aren't very efficient, right? Right. So those that are savers, the other distinction I would make is we had a client who had an infinite number of sinking funds. He was saving for future car repairs, future home repairs, future vacations, uh, clothes for his kids for school. I mean, he was squirreling away $50, $75, $100 here and there and everywhere. And when I met him, I said, dude, this is totally inefficient what you're doing Um, because you have access to all of this money. I get why you're squirreling it away. It feels good and you're prepared. But what if I could show you a way? And he had two homes. He had a primary home and a lake home. He had four car loans uh, because all he he and his wife and the two kids all had car payments. I said, what if I could show you a way where in three to four years, all of it's paid off, all of it. And sure enough, he was like 2.9, 3.1 years. All of it's gone. Two mortgages, four car payments, all of it. So this is a real life case story. This is a real life case study. And he was squirreling away money here and there and everywhere, but he was spending so much in interest that it wasn't very efficient at all because he, he had interest payments on all four cars on both homes, right? Credit cards, if he was using them on a monthly basis, which I'm sure he was. And so one of the main premises of this, you guys, is that the two greatest expenses we have in life are taxes and the interest expense on debt. And- you know, I leave it to Marcus to f- figure out how to pay less in taxes and, uh, or, or the least amount legally in taxes. Right. And then, you know, with shred, the goal is how do we pay the least amount of interest expense on debt? Cause when you do both those things in tandem, like wealth building is easy to game. So,
1: man, are you. Is part of the equation? And Tyler, jump in here because I'll I'll keep yeah, them. I'll probably keep them all afternoon.
0: Couple things, just <laughs> for the total layperson. This sounds like some sort of alchemy. Like <laughs> what? what uh, like what is happening? Like yeah. I mean, are you you talked about a bank account? Like are you just yep. now like this this HELOC becomes your primary bank account? And Essentially, you're, like, yes. Going to the grocery store with a HELOC credit card
2: in effect, that would be a good way to describe it, Tyler. You would use a credit card. I mean, In our model, we use a credit card for all of our daily incidental transactions, gas, groceries, going out to eat, stuff for the kids, athletic events. All of that goes on a credit card. And, and we essentially are using our credit card as a budgeting tool. So we know, my wife and I know that on a month by month basis, that card will probably get up to somewhere between three and four thousand dollars. That's just a given right based on all the monthly expenditures we have. And so we're budgeting that on a couple week basis. Like, Hey, where are we at? And my wife will say we're at $1,800 or we're at $2,600. Cause I just went shopping this last weekend and she'll say, um, okay, we need to cool it a little bit on, on the card. So let's not go out to eat for the next few nights. Let's, you know, reserve our spending on Amazon or whatever for a period of time. So we're using that as a budgeting tool, but at the end of the month, Tyler, that credit card is paid off by the line of credit. So there's never a credit card balance ever, right? It's always rolling, which for us, we take advantage of that because we're getting miles or points or whatever. We we game the credit card system like crazy. And what that means for us long-term is we travel for free all the time. Um, that's one more module in our course that we teach is how do you travel for free using the system?
1: Now I'm listening. but
2: um, <laughs> But then, you know, in paying that off, then... The, it would seem there's a balance on the line of credit, but within a few days, your income comes in. So it gets dropped down, you know, relatively close to zero, even if it's a grand, two grand, five grand, whatever it is, the interest amount on that is pretty negligible when you compare what you've saved in offset on the car loan, the mortgage, et cetera. Gotcha.
0: And so all your income just goes straight into the balance of that HELOC and any surplus is going to interest payments.
2: Correct. Going to wherever it's most efficient.
0: Gotcha. And the and system will sell you software automates that.
2: Yep. Yep. Okay. It, this is a great example. I mean, you said alchemy, which I've, I freaking <laughs> love this idea. Um, I was on a walk just before the, the podcast and um, I was thinking about what is this like and I'm not, I I don't participate in this. I have relatives who do, but Weight Watchers or Noom, the weight mm-hmm. loss tools. Yep. All it does is it changes your behavior around like, Hey, this is when you normally get hungry, go drink 24 ounces of water, right? That's what it's essentially doing. Or it's saying, have you done your 10,000 steps yet? Take, take a walk around the house and get 2,500 steps, you know, in the next hour. It's doing that to change behavior. Our system does something very similar. It's just a text message or an email blast that says, action required today, move this amount from your HELOC to your mortgage. And when you follow the prompts, what's amazing is it never feels like you're out of money. It actually feels like you have more and more and more liquidity because you're diminishing your debt. You're increasing you know, your ability to borrow um, or the ability to uh, pay down debt because you're paying less in interest. It just feels like you're more abundant in the midst of it, you know, and people doing Noom and Weight Watchers will say, the pounds just fell right
1: off, you know, magically. (laughs) You do the same just with your money. Crazy how that happens. Yeah. Is is your net worth, so the first thing I start to think of, you know, you get past the initial, oh, I'm going to save interest and you start kind of thinking it through. Yeah. And I'm thinking, okay. But what if you now, you know, obviously you gave some parameters around somebody who has to be diligent with money. I think is probably the way to say it. Yep. So, you know, you could easily say, well, yeah, I'm I'm paying down my mortgage, but in a (laughs) I'm offsetting it with a line of credit that I'm now borrowing more on because I really haven't controlled my spending. So my question is, is a is an analysis or a graphing of your line, not line of credit, your net worth a part of this equation? Because if you're just moving it from one pants pocket to the other, my yeah. mortgage is down and, and you could then argue I'm paying a really cheap mortgage and I'm funding yeah. it with a higher interest line of credit. It's a great question. Is a, is a part of this watching your net worth or or maybe DTI or, or what, yeah. what part of financial ratios go into this in terms of like, how am I really doing? Yeah,
2: yeah that's a great question. Um, we have the ability to track investments in the system so it is, it is constantly tracking where your investments are going and where your debt is going. So a component of that would be what's the delta, right? What is your net worth and, and is that tracking up? Um, one of the, the this is a feature that we're adding, but it's sort of like the warning bell goes off if you've gone X number of months and you've not made a lump sum payment somewhere, you are spending more than you should and or your debt load has gotten higher or interest rates gotten higher than it should. And it's no longer effective. So we've had a couple people who, um, they took advantage of the fact that they had a line of credit that was fairly large and they saw it as, Oh, well, this is extra spending money for us as opposed to viewing it the way it should be, which is this is a tool for debt reduction. I mean, effectively they kind of reverted back to the way a banker wants us to use the line, yeah. which is you borrow from us. And then you just pay us a, a monthly amount every month and it happens to be the
1: interest. So that's interesting because, I mean, you you start to get people who really aren't savvy if they aren't. And it's like, yeah, my mortgage is going down 10 grand, but the line of credit's up 17. What yeah. what have I really done? You know, we, we don't want that necessarily except
2: for that. And this happens in some cases where someone's got a big lump sum coming in, in a distribution or, uh, you know, they're getting a year end bonus our system calculates for those big lump sum dumps. So if if it looks like you're going to have a pretty massive deposit coming in from the business or your job or whatever it may be, the system's going to make room on the line for that and say, send this lump sum payment out to your mortgage in this case. right? And when they do that, you, you are advancing the amortization table by years with those lump sums. I mean, literally it could be like four or five years that you're you're clearing off the mortgage when you make those lump sums. So the, the analogy I often give to people is if I let you borrow a hundred dollars today and I charge you $5 interest, would you pay that knowing that that hundred dollars will save you $2,000 long-term? Right. So, yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. Pay five to borrow a hundred to save 2000 people will do that all day long. So at times the HELOC could expand, um, but you're still getting a pretty massive savings benefit if you're diligent and you stick with it over a period of time. Yep.
0: Couple, couple questions. Um, what, why are, why would small business owners be better at this than maybe, or be better positioned to to jump into the shred method? And does it apply to any business methodology for finance?
2: This is a great question, Tyler. The, the number of business owners that we work with has gone up over the last several years. Um, and for whatever reason, we get a lot of dentists and we get a lot of chiropractors. <laughs> and then we get a lot of folks in the real estate industry who understand leverage and want to create liquidity pools to be able to go do it again. Um, for a business owner, if you have practice debt, you have a commercial loan, you have a commercial building that you're paying on, you know, any of those kinds of debts are amortized debts. So you've probably got a 20 or a 25 year loan on a building as an example. Um, Marcus, I think you and I were talking about even like an office condo and how to Mm -hmm. blast away an office condo, right? Even a little bit of extra that's coming through a business in profit, if leveraged the right way, you could blast away the debt against the business in no time. And that's really where dentists and chiropractors come to us is we'll say, listen, if you've got student loan debt from chiropractic college or dental school and you're buying a practice or you bought a bunch of equipment because you had a 200 grand write-off last year, but now you got to pay for it. We can show you how to do that in short order. It's just a reorientation of the cash flow through your system. And, and again, this is where most people don't, it looks like magic to your point, Tyler, like where's the alchemy that's happening. (laughs) It's not magic, it's math. And it's the same math. Same thing for me. If you, (laughs) if you were to drive Uh, two miles in any direction from my house, you'd you'd run right into a $10 or $15 million bank building. And the banks and credit unions around me continually build bigger and newer buildings. And uh, there was a point in time I would drive around and wonder, what do they know that we don't? And a friend of mine said, well, we are their compound interest vehicle. So as we make our monthly payments dutifully, the bank's you know, take in record profits and are able to build business. you know, build their business, build their buildings. And I don't say that to vilify them, um, cause it's a great business model, but when we understand it, we can actually take advantage of it as consumers too.
1: So one thing that, that I've been thinking about is, and, I'm, and i and I don't expect specifics, but what about the crowd that like me is thinking, okay, I've got like, and this is, this is real life for me. My mortgage is at 3.125. Yep. Okay. So I don't want to lose that. Totally, And I'm leery of paying it off fast, right? Yeah. It, what I mean by that is the opportunity cost of paying it off fast in totally. lieu of doing other things with it. Totally. So let's just say I go and get my HELOC and it's at, let's just say eight. Okay. I, I, obviously the system accounts for that. Is that a common scenario where you're seeing and even showing people even on those terms where you've got a, let's just say an interest spread of 5% plus. Yeah, you know the HELOC versus your primary mortgage. Yep. Are people seeing success with that with the shred method?
2: They are, and and it's done a little bit differently. Where you might limit how much goes on the line of credit at any given point in time. So we're getting a little bit of a whip effect on your income through the line, but not to an extent like you're going to drop fifteen or twenty or thirty thousand dollars on your mortgage at a time. You might be putting three to four thousand against it. And then the income catches up, and then you do it again and again. Um, the difference, and and you bring up a great example, Marcus, because I'm in a 2.875 mortgage, right? Yeah. And what we did in using Shred and just I'm it, there. There is an element of of um, mastery in having done this for 12 years, like I have. But what I did was I looked at the numbers in the amortization table and said, even at three percent or 2.875 at the beginning of the mortgage, the majority of your payments still going, uh, a majority of it, maybe not the majority, but a majority of it, over 60% is still going towards interest. What if I could accelerate the payoff of it to the point where the majority of it's going to principal as opposed to interest? Because then at the very least, I still own the majority of the income, right? right. And, and I use this, this logic and language with people a lot. You don't actually own much of your income. Because as soon as you, pay, you, you get paid, it's like the great redistribution of your paycheck goes to all the people that you owe money to, and the majority of those payments are interest. So what if, and this, this is true with rental properties as well, what if you could accelerate the payoff to a point where all of the rent you're getting from a tenant is going towards the principal of that mortgage? Then uh, like it truly is an investment that's paying for itself. And so with, with our deal, we started at $200,000. We blasted it away to about 85, call it 80,000, somewhere in there. And I was like, okay, well now I'm just going to recast it. And recasting your mortgage looks like calling your mortgage company and saying, I owed 200 when I started three years ago, I owe 80 now. So what will my payment be with $80,000 over 27 years at 2.875? And the answer was $334 a month. So I live in my 5,200 square foot home in Des Moines, Iowa for 334 bucks a month.
0: Is recasting you term or are you just essentially like get it refinanced? Is that what you mean?
2: So it's different. And I'm okay. I'm yeah. digging into like 202 stuff with you guys. Okay. Yeah. But a recast is different than a refinance because a refinance just resets the clock to 30 years. A recast is saying I I'm I'm emotionally attached to my interest rate. How do I maintain my interest rate? but recast what my payments are based on the lump sum payments that I've made. And Mm -hmm. the way this started was um, ultimately in like 07, 08, when people were getting behind on their mortgage, their mortgages would just be recast. So if they were 10 payments behind or 15 payments behind, the the mortgage company would say, you actually owe us 20 or 30 or $50,000 more because of those payments. We'll just recast it over the same 28 years. So the payment would go up a little bit today. You can do that by making lump sum payments down and then recast it. And it's a, you know, it'll be somewhere between 150 and $300 fee to do it, but it's literally paperwork. You sign, you know, what are you, what are you after? What's the the new payment? And then they, they set your payment as the new payment. It's pretty simple.
1: I did. I mean, when you mentioned that to me the first time we talked, I mean, I, I knew the concept, but I wasn't sure how prevalent it was because I know lots of people that are just diligent kind of saver types who get way ahead on their mortgage and yep. maybe they don't want to recast it cuz they like keeping that that same payment yeah for people who are looking for the liquidity to do other things i.e. i want to take my mortgage down from 1500 to to 500 and use the 1000 to do other things yep this is this is something that's pretty easy to do it's super simple
2: okay. i mean it was one phone call a fedex package to our house that we both signed in front of a notary and send it back. And, you know, within days it was changed. Wow. So yeah, if, if you are not familiar with it and you've got a significantly smaller amount owed than what you started with, because you've been making lump sum payments, by all means, I would encourage your listeners to check out a recast. That's cool. Yeah.
1: Well, this has been great. I mean, I, like I said, yeah. I mean, we we could we could keep you here two hours, and I could ask you all kind of detailed <laughs> questions, but I don't I don't know that anybody is going to benefit from that other than me. Yeah. So
0: <laughs> let's see if we can give you I can give you two closing questions. Please. Um, one I, and this is a, basically a, an a opportunity for you to kind of sell the system here. But what? How do people fail trying this themselves?
2: It, it's you know the the um, the way we describe this is it's a behavior modification tool. You know, I, I referenced Weight Watchers or Noom. Similar to them, you know, people could people can lose weight on their own. There are people who do it. Some do it successfully, some don't. Um, and I think there are people out there who could do this tactic on their own. What Shred really provides, number one, is a course that tells you exactly what to do and how to do it. Two, is the community of people who are also going along with you and the the challenge with this tyler to answer your question directly people will fail because it's too easy to revert to the mean it's too easy to go back to the way we always used to do it like why well, feels good to have money in checking right mm-hmm. and it takes about 90 to 120 days maybe 150 days to get to a point where it just feels more normal and natural for you now that you're just using the methodology and the cash flow system the way it is um, the software that's part of our our program is really the behavior modification tool. That's the thing that's reemphasizing and holding you accountable day after day, week after week. And um, at some point, people begin to rely on the software or they're like, no, I get what's happening. I can do this on my own. I see. So our sense is that the amount invested in our program, it will take you months and months to get to the level that you'd be in two months know using the system or even month one for that matter because yeah. it tells you specifically what to do from a mathematical perspective that's helpful yep.
0: last question um and you can take this however you want but after the shred method is there a bulking method
2: <laughs> <laughs> dude i love this question and, I mean, borrow uh, that branding holy yeah. cow um <laughs> we call it phase one phase two and phase three uh, so okay. phase one is shred and shred means we're going to lower our expenses. We're going to increase our equity and we're going to increase the amount of liquidity that we have in the process. That phase takes somewhere between 12 and call it 24 months at the 2018 20, to 24 month window. You guys both would go like, Oh, Hey, I have way more equity in my house now that I did before. What should I do with it? Cause I'm not earning anything on the money sitting in my home. So we then pivot, shred the whole system to begin building a bank of what we would call an opportunity fund. And that money could go either into a, a side fund. It usually goes into investments of some kind. We personally like infinite banking, you know, overfunding cash value life insurance because it's a very functional, flexible tool to use for investing. Um, so the bulk phase can be 24 months to 48 or 60 months, somewhere between year two and year five. And within that three, four, and five year period, you're starting to put that money into investments to create massive, passive, permanent streams of income. And the ultimate goal long-term is that within 10 years, every one of our clients should be financially free, meaning they have more money coming in passively than they have in expenses every month. And at that point, like do whatever you want to do. You don't have to, it's work optional because you have more money coming in passively than you have expenses.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's the Holy grail right there. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And you know, the challenge is that, like I say it, and it sounds easy. I've been doing it 10 years. We're at that point. Like we, it's work optional. um, You know, money's coming in from a variety of sources and it turns over regularly. Um, If I contrasted that with what my advisor, my financial advisor years ago would have told me to do, he'd have said, put 500 here and a thousand here, and we'll just do it month after month after month. And hopefully it'll grow by eight or 10%. And My challenge with that is there's a there's a level of uncertainty because what advisors typically do is they tell you what is expected based on research that's happened in the past. But there is no research on what is going to happen in the future.
0: Yeah. Man, Adam, I feel that because like we've all gotten those same I mean, we've all gotten those same charts, you know. I can remember being like eighteen and graduating and sitting down with an actual financial advisor setting up a a retirement account and the charts and graphs look amazing but like even in my lifetime i've seen how unpredictable the world is yes i mean with (laughs) i joke like we live in an area that rains a lot and my daughter is 10 now and she's seen like a hundred year flood a thousand year flood and like a, a winter that was like you know so same thing,' the worst just, all these record. really catastrophic, you know, yeah, he's ten, so I'm just like the stats need to be readjusted here totally but anyway, point being like yeah i think I think there is a just people are starting to reevaluate their retirement plans That's indeed probably the best way to say that
2: and and in my uh, my humble opinion, I think that to rely on things like social security or pensions, defined benefit pensions that don't really exist anymore for the most part. Um, And then to say, well, I just need to create a big, huge, shiny pile of money that will last me forever. Is that really doable? I mean, for some, yes, but you have to be super diligent about how you're going to go about doing that. And then you might still have pretty massive expenses when you go into retirement. So I have family members that they thought they had saved enough. and then through, you know, inflation and having to withdraw more than what they expected. And then a market downturn, they're like, uh, we might outlive our money. This is not what we intended. And that's that in my, again, in my opinion, my estimation, no one, none of us should ever be faced with that. If we're presented with the right information to, to, you know, preclude us from ever experiencing that in life.
0: Yeah.
2: Adam, how can we find more about you?
0: And and where to get started.
2: Yeah. Any, anybody that's interested in learning more about the shred method, we are an education company first and foremost. So, you know, this is not a hard sell. Um, we we always like to tell people we're not leg humpers. We're not going to (laughs) hump your leg trying to get you to do do
1: this. I'm going to use that by the way. I'm going to use that. Do it.
2: Do it. If it, if it works for you, if the numbers fit, by all means do it. If not, like if you just can't see yourself using it, don't worry. Um, but when you go to theshredmethod.com, there's a su- super simple calculator you can plug your data into, and it'll give you a number, and it's a raw number. But then we can go in and put customized numbers in with you on a 20-minute complimentary call and tell you exactly what the payoff date would be and how much you're, you would you know be prepared to save as a as a byproduct. So theshredmethod.com is the best place to find us.
0: Awesome.
1: And and real quick, I'll give one other plug. If you haven't watched Adam's TED Talk, which is initially what drew me in, go find that. We'll put that in the show notes. Really great um, on the concept of the abstraction of money, I think is how I'm am yeah. I getting that right. You are. Yeah. yeah. Really great. I, you had me uh, for 10 minutes glued. So oh, kudos awesome. to you. That was great. And And if nothing else, if people get out of this, watch that TED Talk. I think you'll really be entertained and informed. Yeah.
2: Yeah, very cool. Thank you for that. And I want to throw out a a quick gift to your listeners. Um, you know, I mentioned I did a documentary on student loan debt. It was done in 2015, 2016. The, the meat of it, the content of it is exactly the same situation today as it was back then. The numbers have gone up radically, Oof. but it's, it's unbelievably powerful to watch with your kids if you have preteen or teenage or college age kids. So if anyone's interested, go to broke busted, disgusted.com and use the code share S H A R E in all caps to get a free download of that documentary. Um, it'll, it'll be well worth the 40, 48 or 52 minutes. I don't remember which version is out there. Um, but well worth watching with your kids because mine realized like, we need to apply for scholarships. We need to understand how much school costs are. They were looking at in-state versus out of state. And you know, all of those things, those are the combos that came up as a result. So for your audience only, uh, go to busted, Uh Use the coupon code SHARE, S-H-A-R-E on checkout.
1: Awesome. awesome. Thank you, man.
2: Well, thanks, Adam. This has been great. And, uh, and we'll,
0: we'll close it here. Be sure to just check out the links in the show notes to, to get more information. And as always, go to Mir.Group. You can find more podcasts there as well as other tips and get in touch with Marcus
1: and his team.